My God. Yeah, right. We have these dead air moments because I have nothing to add. <laughs> I thought you, I really thought you were going to have like so many questions, though. I did. I did. I, I had some laid out, but I was like, what if I don't really need them? And then, you know, I, I married a nerd, right? I'm on a line with a nerd. And once the nerds get going, it's like, I just, okay, I'll just sit here and produce. I'm on it. Everyone's doing their job, right? To each their ability, right? That, that's what the anti-capitalists say. To each their ability, to each their contribution, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I don't even know what the people be saying. I just, but what are your questions? I'm curious to know what the questions are now. Oh my goodness! Yeah, where were they? Where were the? questions? <laughs> <laughs> like you put them, you took them down. Not you closing out the box with the questions. Huh? Yeah. You know what? When the computer shut down, the little question essay thing that I had written down was gone. Oh no! But oh, like, no. Uh, could, could we schedule again? Fuck yeah! Like, Absolutely. We... Oh, I love this little thing. The little video. Yes, that's that's. I love that video. Yeah, I found um, more from what you sent me. I found more, and I thought it'd be mm-hmm. good to play those on mute on like a in in the background there. Yeah, pause that one. I want you guys to look at this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I already know what he's explaining. He's explaining what's happening to your brain and body when you uh, experience a stressful or traumatic event and the hormones that are coming out. So he's mm-hmm. showing you your amygdala. That amygdala is your brain's fear response system. That's the beginning of your brain's fear response system. It starts going off like an alarm. And it starts saying, hey, you're in danger. And what ends up happening is all the when the traumatic event happens, your ability to plan and think long-term, control your impulses, which is held in your prefrontal cortex, you basically inhibit that ability. And you start the stress hormones start taking over your body, such as cortisol and adrenaline. And you that's when you get into that fight or flight mode. He's probably gonna go into it's also on the left of the little you see where it says freeze. That's probably him going into the survival responses. But this is a great video. I don't know what video, but I, I mean I don't know what the link is to that video, but you should definitely share that with your followers. It's a good video. Okay, I have them in a little playlist here on the YouTube. So yeah, that's why that's a it's a YouTube screen. And I have it cropped so that all the other YouTube stuff is out of it. Yeah, th- this is the stuff we do. Again, great. From black free thinkers to here. This is wild. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I always think about the w- role that religion has played in how black people specifically deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some good things. There are some things that we know for sure have not been good, right? Good things being things like having a place and a space to organize mm-hmm. a lot of the freedoms that we do have were organized in church basements right? right um the ability to connect and have community with each other because it was the only place we were allowed to be able to do that and congregate and connect right, right. um and even that we had to fight for people don't know that but um so there were and it was supposed to be a space where you can help your community sister so-and-so is not feeling well let's go on over there and bring her some food and make sure she has her needs met mm-hmm. uh, sister so uh for example growing up you know as, as terrible as my church was it was also a space a safe space for us to be in the 90s when shit's going off in south central you mm-hmm. know what i mean and my dad was you know until my dad's uh until some credit to my dad but i was a single dad going to school full-time, working two to three jobs most of that most of that time, mm-hmm. at, all at the same time. And so he needed a space, safe place for his kids to develop skills. You guys, I'm sure people think I'm a good speaker. I learned that at church because they always had you in the microphone talking. You got public speaking training. You got mm-hmm. vocal training. You got all these things that, because remember also in the 90s, that, that they took a lot of the music programs out of the schools. Yep. Churches did that, right? So there were good things that also came out of that. However, I think another thing that came out of it is this appeal to authority, this uh, uh, need to shut down your critical thinking and believe, mm-hmm. um, and also all the abusive things that happen when you take advantage of people's inability to have their critical thinking, right? Yeah. Um, so there's definitely bad things as well. I always look at that when I think about our what, ha- what has happened to us as Black people and how we even see ourselves. We've been conditioned to think the only way we can survive is by utilizing these authoritative, hierarchical, patriarchal um, ways of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, this strong belief that you have to hit your children mm-hmm. to teach them things and to discipline them and teach them discipline. And it's not real. In fact, we find that it, much like that diagram I showed you with the brain, you'll find that it actually underdevelops children. Mm-hmm. And because they're spending more time in that survival mode with that cortisol and adrenaline shooting through their system 
and, and it's in the. I don't know if you got the chance to see that first video I sent you, uh, William, with the uh, Aces video. And she talks about that. Doctor that- Nadine um, Burke Harris. Uh, she uncovered the Aces, which is adverse childhood experiences, where they found that your adversity as a child that you experience has direct impacts on your mental and physical health as an adult. Mm-hmm. Direct impact, including cancer, diabetes, obesity. Um, suicidality, um, depression, all these things are connected to your childhood adversity. Mm-hmm. And people don't even talk about that, right? Yep. Um, but we don't even realize the way that we've utilized as Black people these Eurocentric strategies to raise our children. Yep. If I don't beat you, the police will. Exactly. I remember I grew up hearing that. If mm-hmm. I don't beat you, the police will. If I don't beat you, Massa will, and Massa might kill you. It's the same concept. Because remember, Mothers had to beat their children in front of the master to show that they were disciplining their three-year-old for being a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. This is um excuse because uh, I'm I'm un- I'm uneducated here, right? So I'm just I'm just some blue-collar person sitting around speculating, right? And mm-hmm. I think about like the homophobia, and I think about how um how I was being raised with my biological mother. And then the transition to the woman that was the adult in my life right after she died. And my biological mother, for example, one example, when we're out at the Batman Returns film and all the boys come out of the theater, I think it was a Cub Scouts thing, and all the boys get the action figures and whatnot. As a boy, my mother allows me to get the Catwoman t-shirt. You know, and this is like at the top of the, like at the beginning of the 90s, into the 80s, Batman Returns. And I'm a boy running around with the Catwoman shirt on because that's the character I like. My mother let me have the non-masculine things. You know, mm-hmm. I played with blocks and My Little Ponies and Ninja Turtles all together. And then when I'm, um, she dies and I'm with my biological father's girlfriend, I have on like a flannel or plaid shirt. And like the next day she's cutting it up and putting it in the garbage and she's from the South. This is the vernacular she used. It makes you look like a punk. And that, and now I'm older and like, I know that like she was using punk as a homophobic slur. And then I think about how much someone from like her background, she kind of expects black boys and men to have a higher chance of going to prison where you don't want to be a punk because you're going to be victimized by virtue of being a punk. And I want, that's just me speculating. Like, do you educated folks see anything there? Absolutely. I think that's what I see her trauma playing out. She's clearly experienced or witnessed something that made her believe that the violence that um, someone she knew or herself experienced as a result of what they wore or something like that. That would be my guess. Mm -hmm. Because you're watching, you're watching somebody whose own fear is playing out Mm -hmm. in a very unhealthy and problematic and homophobic way. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Because I think sometimes, I do think, because if you to some parents who talk about stuff like this, and I work with many parents, in their mind, they believe they're protecting their children. Mm-hmm. They literally believe this. They believe that, in fact, they will believe, my dad thought he was beating us and he was saving our soul. Ugh. If you really believe your children are going to burn in hell for the ter- eternity, if you don't beat your child, if you really believe that, as crazy as it might sound to those of us who are no longer in those beliefs or have never had those beliefs, there are people who really believe that. We were a part of those type of cults where you don't go to the hospital if you're sick. Mm. You get prayer from the prophet, Ooh. right? You had blessed water that the prophet prayed over mm-hmm. after you stayed up till three in the morning at some service that shouldn't have been that long, right? Um, this is the type of thinking some people have because of what they've already been conditioned with. In her mind, she may have actually believed she was protecting you. That doesn't make what she did okay. That doesn't mean it wasn't problematic. That doesn't mean she shouldn't be held accountable because she absolutely should if if that ever happened, right? But at the end of the day, it sounds like she thought in her belief system that she was protecting you. Yeah, I'm not not even mad at her. Like she didn't know what the hell she was doing. And And that's how I feel about my dad, you know? I don't think he really knew. And I, I love my dad. Unfortunately, we don't, we're not we're unable to have a relationship right now, and I'm really sad about that because I love my father, but I also know that he doesn't even have the ability. I don't. It's this is the hard. This is the hardest thing I'm still grappling with mm-hmm. with narcissism and uh, NPD diagnosed NPD. This isn't just something I'm saying, right? They don't. Do they really even have the ability to love you, even right. their own children, right? right? So I have to. So understanding that my father did the best he could with what he 
was given, what he mm-hmm. was raised under, right? He was an abusive alcoholic. He started doing heroin at 15. Mm. What is a child at 15 going through where they think heroin is what will heal them? Right. What is a 15-year-old experiencing? Well, guess what? My grandfather was also an abusive alcoholic. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was also in World War II. Mm. My grandfather was also having to walk down the road to go to school and see bodies hanging from trees that look like his. Mm -hmm. Same thing with his father. His father was in World War I. Ooh, yeah. And both of those men had to fight for a country that when they came back home, they still didn't have shit. Mm -hmm. My grandfather has a college degree. The best job he could get was at the post office. Mm. And that was a good job for a Negro. Mm -hmm. It still wasn't enough to really pass down any type of um, anything to his family. (laughs) It's a a living wage, not a thriving wage. Exactly. Yeah. My grandmother still had to work. Mm-hmm. My grandmother still had to get jobs. So it's not like um, my father had the healthiest upbringing himself. Mm-hmm. How could he? If we think about it, I got this from Dr. Stacy Patton. And I highly recommend people read her books around whooping and things like that. It's a black woman. Mm-hmm. And she talks about as, as black people, we haven't even been able to even be a family except for the last 30, 40 years. Right. In that. Right. You can't, how are you a family during slavery when they can sell your child off at any moment? When mm-hmm. you have to teach your child, your, think about, that was, that's something that's going to be really, that might be a little bit jarring for people, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Imagine being a mother and having to teach your 10-year-old daughter how to be raped so she could stay alive. Mm-hmm. That's her mother-daughter talk. Yep. How can you be a healthy family in a situation like that? Yep. And they still might kill your child. They still might sell her away. They still might make her breed for you. Mm-hmm. Right? You're getting experimented on. We have a whole system of gynecology built off of black woman's bodies. Yes. Thank you. But we're expected to somehow have a healthy, happy, thriving family after this. Mm-hmm. You have after after your after slavery, we have another hundred years of Jim Crow laws and lynching. Mm-hmm. How can you really be a healthy, thriving family in those situations? We're just being traumatized. You have to raise your children to follow orders because if they don't, they die. Then we then in this generation, we we still treat them that way. Then we send them to these schools that reinforce this belief. Because my, all my schools, it was get in line, be quiet. What are you doing? Stop. It was all authoritative. It was all about following orders. Mm-hmm. And if you don't follow orders, what happens? You suffer. Mm-hmm. So we've been conditioned in that thinking. We haven't had the chance to teach our children how to negotiate, how to connect with each other, how to problem solve. Because we've been, remember I told you, problem solving is in the neocortex. We've been operating out of this reptilian brain, which is our survival part of our brain. It's the most primitive part of our brain, Mm -hmm. just to survive. Eat, sleep, shit, mate. (laughs) All that's in your most primitive part of your brain, right? In fact, I'm going to go ahead and get into it. Because I want to be able to, reference this later so let's, I use my fist as an example before I had nails I could actually make a whole fist can't do that now um, <laughs> but my nails is cute though anyway very cute, um, <laughs> very cute. <laughs> thanks girl um, but this is, let's say this is the brain right we'll use this as an example mm-hmm. this will be your reptilian part of your brain okay Okay. that is the base of your brain it's like the, the nape of your neck part of your brain mm-hmm. um, it's where all your survival responses are, fight, flight, freeze, appease, as mm-hmm. well as, you know, your basic surviving, eat, sleep, all that, right? Right, right. So if you think of like a lizard, mm-hmm. tell me, what is a, what are just name things that you've seen a lizard do? Something you've seen a lizard do? Oh, Anything. I feel like I'm cheating by answering this, but um, fucking fornicating and feed, you know, fucking and feeding basically <laughs> is what, you know, that's... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's the fact. Right? They, they mate, they feed, they eat, they run, they walk. Basic things, right? Yep. Now, that's the reptilian part of your brain. Now, the other part, another part of your brain that's is kind of, in, you know, just above that is called your limbic system. Yes. Or your mammalian brain. Mm-hmm. So that's where your connection, your affection, your uh, empathy, all that's right here, right? 
this very emotional part of your brain. Mm -hmm. Now, this part of your brain doesn't even really begin to come online fully until about two years old. Mm -hmm. You're born with the reptilian brain already online. The this part of your brain is more it starts to develop and you operate primarily out of this part of your brain between the ages of two and ten years old. Mm -hmm. As it's developing more, right? So just imagine you ever had a two-year-old or a three-year-old with you at the store, you told them no, don't touch that. Yes. And they fall out. <laughs> yes. I've been there. Because they felt that no so deeply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the part of their, it's totally normal. That's why you don't beat your child out of a tantrum. That's ridiculous. Or even the walking away thing. Doesn't actually teach them anything other than, other than abandonment, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, that's a, that's another thing. People don't know that. That's All this is new stuff. So if people do that, don't feel bad. It's new It's new science. People don't right. know. Um, <laughs> none, none of this comes from judgment. None of, none of what I'm saying comes from judgment at all. I'm actually trying to help us understand why we do the things that we do. So um, what Shabri pretends she's doing. Huh? <clears throat> that therapist, like this is what she pretends oh, she'd be doing. This is what she should have been sharing with you. Okay, so then you have the mammalian part of your brain. Like I said, you operate out between around two, ten years old. Um, a lot of your emotions, connection, all that's there. So if you think about a, a puppy, mm -hmm. what does a puppy do that a lizard does not do? Just name some things that puppies do that lizards don't do. Uh, I would say a puppy would generally be more affectionate and cuddly. Affectionate. They connect emotionally, all those things, right? Well, the next part of your brain that comes online around 10, 11 years old is the neocortex. The neocortex is where, like I said, that's where your impulse control, that's where your planning, strategizing, creativity, all that comes from there. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's that neocortex. That comes online around 10, 11, doesn't really finish developing till about. 27 to 30 mm -hmm. and before but also part of that neocortex something called the prefrontal cortex that comes online around 15 mm -hmm. and that's where your long-term planning long-term thinking come from that's why you know you wait till about 15 years old start saying hey what do you want to do with your future asking an eight-year-old that a little bit more challenging right, right. um they'll tell you they want to be an astronaut and they don't even know what an astronaut really does right, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly exactly like, i don't want to go hop on the moon and pick up moon rocks right um so around 15 is when your long-term planning and thinking begin to really come online now what happens when you get afraid or you feel hurt which is really just fear mm -hmm. um well anger is fear or hurt really mm -hmm. so whenever you get angry whenever you get afraid that neocortex goes offline the next thing that goes offline is your mammalian brain mm -hmm. that limbic system mm -hmm. you're not able to connect you're not able to empathize none of that's there you go into fight flight or freeze or appease right now if we look at the brain and we say okay well I feel calm now you're in your neocortex. You're able to plan better and strategize better. You're not reactionary. Mm -hmm. You're not just reacting to a situation. You go, okay, this bad thing happens, but I'm going to figure this out. Right. You can do that. But when you're offline, you're not able to do that. I'll give you an example. You ever talk to somebody who's irrationally angry about something? Yes. And no matter how many facts you give them, yes. they're it, not calming down. In fact, they get madder at you. It's me. I'm that person. <laughs> but all of us are that person. I'm trying to tell you, we're all that person. Whenever we're angry and we get into a certain part of our brain, we're thinking we're either going to fight, we're going to flee, mm -hmm. we're going to freeze, or we're going to try to appease this person to keep ourselves safe. Mm -hmm. I'm hurt and I'm angry, right? We all do that. That goes offline. I tell the kids, you know, you, when you flip your lid, right? You literally flip your lid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what happens for many of us when we calm down the limbic system comes online. That's why I always say when people are in that space, it's not the time to give them facts and figures. Yeah. They don't understand. They, they can't even process that. Mm -hmm. I go to, I hear you. You have to get that limbic system back online. You be calm. Don't react to the survival response. Yes. You know, say, wow, I hear you. You can definitely show that you're interested and match their energy about it. Wow, that happened? I, I, I didn't even see it that way. Oh, my God. I can definitely understand how you feel that way. Empathy. Mm -hmm. Guess what? That starts to come back online. Then you can have a calmer conversation about the facts. 
but we don't want to do that most of the time because we because once their once their lid is flipped, guess what? We flip our lid. Yep. <laughs> and then you got two lit people just going at each other. Hmm. But if we can remain calm, which requires a lot of practice, it also requires you to be able to hear the need underneath the anger. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what the what the person's mad about, what they're saying out of their mouth, isn't even what they're really upset about. They're actually triggered by something. Yeah. And so it might really be. You know, the fact that you dismissed my feelings. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize, you didn't realize you dismissed my feelings by right. telling me no or telling me that you'll talk about it later. Right. So I flip out, right? You're like, no, I'm telling you, I just had a busy schedule. I don't care, I, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said, you know what, You're, I hear you. You're right. You definitely needed some connection and I didn't provide it. Doesn't mean it's your fault. You don't have to even apologize. Maybe you weren't wrong. Mm-hmm. But say, you know what, I hear it. And I didn't even realize what I didn't even realize that me my schedule was not working for this, you know, whatever. Um, so my whole point really is helping us understand what's happening in our brains and bodies. Now, this is the thing. These things are important. They're good things. They're not bad. I think that's the other thing we get into this idea that flipping your lid is bad. It's not necessarily bad because it can actually keep you safe. Right. Let's say, for example, you ever sit on a porch somewhere and you see a paper bag out the corner of your eye. Well, in fact, you don't even know what it is. You just see something out of the corner of your eye. And you go like this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You ever get startled? You just yeah. move out the way? Come to find out it is a bag? Mm-hmm. But what if it wasn't a bag? What if right. it was a rabid dog coming at you? Right. Was that the time for your neocortex to be online and say, oh, I wonder how fast that dog is going to get here? Right. Sure, it's going, tw- is it going 20 miles an hour? I wonder. It ain't time for all that. So that their brain shuts that down. Is the time to bond and connect to a rabid dog coming at you? No. So that part of your brain goes offline. And that's why you go into that survival response of get out the way. I got to flee from the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to be ready to fight the situation. Now, the other thing is when that happens, when you're in that space, you have these chemicals like cortisol going through your system. It's supposed, once the day, once you are calm, once you realize you're safe, that cortisol is supposed to be absorbed through the hippocampus. There's receptors in the hippocampus in your brain that's supposed to take that out. Now, so you can go ahead and function. But what happens is if we're constantly flipping our lid, we're constantly feeling we're in danger, that amygdala in our brain is going off, flipping our lid, taking us offline, mm-hmm. constantly having us in fight or flight mode, hyper-reactionary. You see this a lot with children who've been traumatized. Mm-hmm. See this a lot. Stop the my shoe. You got me over. You know, this overreaction to the situation. Yeah. A lot of times it's because their systems have been flooded with that over and over and over again to the point where that chemical mm-hmm. cortisol becomes toxic to your body. Yeah. And that's what creates those health problems, such as heart disease, such as diabetes. Mm-hmm. Because these chemicals are also glucose is another thing that gets pumped into your muscles to make you stronger to be able to be ready to fight or flee a situation. Right. These things are all happening in your body. They're physical things. They're not this emotional things out in the ethos somewhere. That's why we get the reactions that we get from people when they feel like they're scared or they're in danger. Mm-hmm. It's important that we understand these concepts when we're working with people. And I think a lot of people um, who work in the field, who work with families, who work in communities, need this type of understanding. Because you can set off your own trauma. Your own trauma can set off somebody else's traumas. Right. And back and forth. Yes. If we're walking around not addressing the fact that, hey, you know, I have my own traumas and this child is triggering me. Parents get triggered by their children, especially if their children reach an age where that parent experienced a particular trauma. Mm-hmm. You see this a lot with women and their daughters. Yeah. Daughters turn 13 and start developing, wanting to wear the things the other girls in their class are wearing. She's just a kid, see, and I just, this is the style. I want to look cute. Mm-hmm. I want boys to notice me. Mm-hmm. Right? I want to be seen. It's totally healthy and normal for a 13-year-old to want to do that. Yep. And then, but the, but the mother experienced a trauma at that age. Guy grabbed her butt. She was assaulted in some way. Mm-hmm. That child can trigger her. And then that becomes a conversation that doesn't, the daughter doesn't hear, my mother's trying to keep me safe. Mm-hmm. Mom doesn't hear, my child is just being a teenager and wants to experience life as a teenager. Yeah. They're hearing, daughter is hearing this angry mom who mm-hmm. sounds nuts to her, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I don't. You just hate me. You don't want me to have any fun. Mm-hmm. You just don't want me to have any friends. You want me to be alone. You know, that's what the kids start saying to the mom. Right. Mom starts telling daughter, you know, braiding her. You want to look like a slut. 
Exactly. She's not saying to her dog because she's traumatized. She's not using a logical brain and saying, hey, you know, I understand that you want to be, be uh, kick it with your friends. You want to fit in. But I also have these, these are my fears about that. Yep. She's not saying that. She's saying you want to be a slut. You want to be a hoe. Fine. Go be a hoe. I don't care. You know, that's mm-hmm. what she's saying. Right. Right. You see this a lot because that's that trauma playing out. Am I babbling? Let me know, because I can go on and on. No, 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 you're not babbling at all. And I really do find that to be interesting um, in those type of dynamics, because I feel like a lot of it just stems from the fact that, like, especially with parents, like, they're too scared to say, I just don't fucking know how to make it better. Right? Because, like, like, I've been there as a child. I have children. I'm there as a parent. So, like, I get, you know, being harsh on your children because you're trying to protect them. But, um it's also almost like a form of magical thinking that like if I am, if I beat the shit out of my kids, if I, you know, don't let my daughter dress a certain way, I'm going to keep them safe. I'm going to keep them safe. I'm following the rules of society, but we're not admitting to ourselves that like you can follow all the rules and bad things still happen to people all the time. Like, you know, and it's like, you're doing all this to try to help your children because you don't want to acknowledge. You just don't know what to do. And I think like, there's like a lot of helplessness behind it to be like, well, you know, I don't want to, you know, to say, talk about, you know, a, a, a young girl this way, but, you know, she doesn't understand because if she goes out there and wears this and someone rapes her, they're going to say it's her fault and like she's going to be made fun of at school and there's going to be like revenge porn online forever. And like those yeah. are the fears. And, um, you know, but like we're pretending that somehow like changing how she dresses is going to prevent that type of shit from happening. And it's like, that's just not how it works. And I wish more parents had the space to admit um, sort of like those feelings of helplessness, if you will, to admit that like we don't actually have solutions to the problems. We can try to follow yeah. the rules as best we can, but that's not a guarantee on fucking anything, especially when you're black, especially, you know, considering things like class status and gender and like all these other things. And it's just, yeah, parents just uh, don't want to say that, I think. <laughs> well, I don't think they know how. I don't think they know they don't know. It's, you've been, you most of us inherit whatever our parents have given us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We use that blueprint. Even the parts, we might say, oh, okay, I don't have to hit my child, but I'm going to give them a silent treatment. Is that mm-hmm. much better? It still hurts. It still makes the child feel unloved. Right. And unheard and un- and not understood. Misunderstood, if understood at all. Right? Um, I think a lot of parents just don't know. And I, I don't, I don't, I used to think when I think as a kid and when I was really young that when you became a parent, somehow you magically had all the answers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you realize as you get older, being a parent doesn't mean anything other than you had a kid. Exactly, <laughs> it doesn't exactly. Necessarily mean you develop this magical tool of answers, right? Yeah. You, you, most people commonly do more of what their parents do than they realize, even when they're trying to change it, because mm-hmm. there's so much they don't even realize that was so subconscious, mm-hmm. right? I'll give you an example. Um, I was teaching teaching this class and I had a woman who shared with me um, about her son. And she was saying how uh, she had acted like five or six and she acted to do something. And he said, like put his plate in the sink or something. He went, Mm -hmm. she was all types of triggered. She was ready to knock his teeth out. Mm -hmm. Because that's what what happened to her if she went, Mm -hmm. right? Then right. she actually, but she said she had been, you know, practicing the certain skills and tools that we had talked about. She had calmed down. She said, okay, let me calm down before I react to this. So this really, so let me figure out why I'm so angry. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel this angry about that? Right. And then she realized that that's what would happen to her. So she said, well, let me go ask him. And I always say, leave with curiosity. Let me go ask him why he did that. And so she asked him why he did that. Mm-hmm. He said, you do it, mommy. You do it. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Ask a, ask a, every parent hates when their child answers them with what? What? <laughs> ask every parent. Every parent that it bothers. Ask them. How often do you answer what? Hmm. <laughs> well, what's that episode of Family Guy? What was Stewie's first word and why? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That was that was a fun episode too. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't see that episode. It was shout a- out to the fact I love the Daria reference in the background, by the way. Oh, it's Thank everywhere. You. Yeah, this is a Daria household. Um <laughs> in my twenties, cause like I, you know, I think I've said earlier, like I aged out of the foster care system, so I don't really have much of a blueprint. But in my twenties, I was like, you know what? 
maybe a good rule of thumb is if I can't watch Daria with somebody, <laughs> that we're not going to build a good relationship. <laughs> so no, Daria was my was my shit. Oh that yeah, I got the the shirts. I got the DVDs. I got Six the comic sad. book. Yeah, Six Sad World. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was a good show. I was I, I I felt like I was in middle school when I watched it, and even then I I felt like I got I understood the cynicism. Yeah, that was a <laughs> but, good one. Yeah, but um, yeah, but yeah, a lot of times we we inherit what our parents do. We see mm-hmm. it in our own children. They and it's natural. They're gonna mirror what's around them. That's what our brains do. We all do it. We still right. do it as adults. There's all these, I love, I love those little video experience experiments they do. They'll show like it was like one of my favorites. It was a waiting room. Mm-hmm. And um, people were coming to this waiting room, and every time a bell went off, like the, like a little the little desk bell, ding, it would go off, and then someone would stand up, and then I think it would ding again, and they'd sit down, mm-hmm. right? Then so this person would every time the ding would go off, they would stand up and they would sit down. Then somebody else would come into the waiting room, and they'd see this person doing this. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and then they do it. They're just waiting, and they just think this is what you're supposed to do in this space. Because our brains say, mirror what's happening around you to, to be safe, yep. right? So, and by safe, it doesn't just mean physically safe. It means emotionally safe as well. Yes. And psychologically safe. Yes. So, then another person comes in, and they're sitting there, and they see people doing this, and they're like, oh, this is weird. But then, but then eventually, they, they start do doing it too. it too. Yep. Then when somebody else comes in, and see this whole group of people doing it, they do it too. Yep. It's totally normal. This is what our brains do. It's, we all do it. When the styles and clothing change, a lot of us change right along with it. No. Maybe not as quickly, <laughs> but we all do it in some way. None of y'all are wearing shirts from the 1960s. I yeah. don't see you in a dress from the 1940s or 30s. Yeah. You and you, you, I don't see you making you. You could go to a vintage shop and find one. Yeah. Right now, people might have that as their style, but even if you look at those people, they're a group. Right. And they all celebrate so they're still doing we all do it in some way even if we have a subculture it's the same idea that's why cult is so effective yeah Yeah, speaking of those type of social experiments I think the wild because I've seen ones like that I saw one where they did that on an elevator where they uh, one guy in the elevator was facing like the like he had his back to the doors and like by the time they got to the top floor everyone had their back to the door. <laughs> um, but I think the wildest one I saw was a jar of like marbles or jelly beans or something, and it was one of those guess how many are in the jar. But they gave you um, answers like you had to pick one of like three answers, and clearly like based on the size of the jar, it could have only been like one answer. I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, but like. What the wild thing, because it was like, what is like, is like 50, 500 or 5,000. You're like, okay, it can only possibly be one of those things, you know. But I think the wild thing about that one to me is that people who had it right, when they got into a group, if one person in the group was adamant about the answer being the wrong number, the people who were right, who knew they were right, who individually picked the right number, still went ahead and said, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'm fucked up and it's the wrong number. Like... That is exactly. so fucking wild to me. How like, but you knew, <laughs> you but had that's it. That's how cults work. That's exactly <sighs> how cults work. And that's why. And I actually really love listening to and watching documentaries about um, cults. In fact, one of my favorite podcasts is called Cults. <laughs> okay. Um, and it talks about because the reason I like that one because they actually go into the psychological science of it. They don't mm-hmm. just tell you the story so people can be judgmental. They actually give you the science. Of both the cult leader and the cult members, mm-hmm. um, but that's a very common thing where they start to question their own beliefs, and that's what they do. And it's and it's not just cult leaders who do this; people in relationships do this, mm-hmm. parents do this. Like we, w- the more passionate someone feels and and seems they seem like they're giving a good argument, or the more the more authority we, we perceive them to have, mm-hmm. the more likely we are to change or start to question our own beliefs. You start questioning our own principles, even. And that's what cults really do. They have you question your own principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I think that's really, that's, it's, it's a fascinating experiment because everyone thinks that they're somehow immune to it, mm-hmm. but nobody is. I have a cousin who would always argue, those weak-minded people. And what's so funny is if you listen to her talk, you'll find that she she repeats talking points that she's heard from other people and she'll be dead wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, what you're doing? I, I, I try to call her out on it. Big uh-huh. mistake. Oh. Can't always talk a lot on stuff. Yeah. Because they take it personal. Like, they'll mm-hmm. take it like some people's beliefs become their identity. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And that's something I had to change in myself. And that's still probably, no, I'm still sure I do it. 
But um, that also makes it hard for people to leave cults or to change beliefs mm-hmm. because they become their identity. Well, who am I if I'm not a Christian? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Who am I if I'm not a feminist? I've mm-hmm. spent all my years being a feminist. Mm-hmm. Shout out to a thought scholar. She was actually a part of that uh, black uh, free thinkers group. Um, but she was like a super black feminist to the point of becoming anti-black men. And then later she started doing more reading, more study. She realized she was wrong and came out about being wrong. And she got hell. I mean, they gave her hell because she changed her beliefs because she went and found more information outside of the echo chamber of her group, of her, of the people that she was surrounding herself with. Um, the same thing happened to me. That's how I ended up leaving my cult. I went to college, mm-hmm. started meeting Christians who weren't doing, who weren't as extreme as mine. Like they could wear pants <laughs> to church. That blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I was like, you could wear blue jeans? Like, cause it was one of those churches that was like kind of new agey, you know, they, yeah. were, they were hella cool. It's, it was still kind of creepy later. Was like, I left that too, but it got me out of where I was at. Right. I saw other Christians who could have parties and listen to, music that wasn't christian i had to hide all my hip-hop cds was yours uh (laughs) was yours pentecostal yes okay that yeah the foster care house sent me to one of those they're wacky they're wacky and imagine it being wacky with the prophet yeah they my bad uh we got sent a prophet uh one time which it doesn't that fucking silly ass book say there are no prophets but then at the same time, they're like, check this out. This is Prophet Voss. And this <laughs> fucking abusive ass nigga, because the thing, my biological mother didn't raise me with religion. And it's not like I'm some brilliant, super woke genius. I mean, woke in the old black 90s way, not this Nazi shit. Like, I wasn't some super woke genius. But with my mother not giving me religion, when I'm 14 years old and you start sending me to church then, that shit looks insane. Like, my mother was a panther in the 70s and you got me in this building with all these folk that look like me with this fucking fake white man on the wall and they're all chanting wash me whiter than snow that was the creepiest <laughs> shit i ever seen in my damn life then i forgot what the hell point i was trying to make i triggered myself <laughs> well i was talking about the you asked about pentecostal and oh saying, yeah and the yeah. prophet yes and that prophet voss guy went up there uh-huh. and straight up um sister evelyn she had put whatever she put in the offering plate and apparently he's eyeballing this cat has x-men eyes and sh- all the way up there from the pool pit, the church is maybe about half a football field long. And he's like, Sister Evelyn, all you got is that $25. I know you got more mm. than that. And she wa- the, she did the perp walk, the walk of shame up the city. And she's a grown ass woman, probably in like her mid to late 30s. Walk of shame up there to put a couple more 20s in it. And Ugh. this is on 90s wages, homie. Ugh. The fuck? <laughs> Excuse wow. me. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm surprised at how blatant he was. Um, our prophet probably wouldn't have done that. In fact, he would brag about how he wasn't that. But then in the same breath, be like, I feel the spirit. God told me today oh. five, five saints were going to give us, we're going to give me $5,000. Mm. And mind you, this is a church in the hood. They went to the projects for a lot of to get a lot of people. And what they so what he did was wait, so this is the thing about cults too, people don't realize. Cults actually help people. Right? They don't that's why they're in it. They in it because they felt helped. They felt like they got some type of community. Yeah. So one of the things that he would do is he would get people from the projects, like literally had a, a school bus that would go up to a project to get the children. Um, it's eventually sometimes their parents would start to come to the church and he'd get them good jobs or help them get good jobs, right? So, for example, he did something and he was able to help get people jobs down at the docks, which was like an amazingly difficult job to get. I think even to get it, um, they usually hire, like, it's one of those jobs where if you're a dock worker, your kids can easily become a dock worker. Mm. Um, it's one of those kind of jobs. I know some transportation companies do the same thing. Um, so we did some things around that. He talked, even did like uh, these classes on how to become, uh, how to get child care programs and foster care programs so they can become foster parents and have their own child cares. So some people were getting money for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, my father got there and he got sober. He, my dad has five degrees now. Mm-hmm. When he was there, he was a bum on Skid Row. 
mm-hmm. when he first joined. They found him in a, a, a rehab house, House of Uhuru, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's what they would do. They'll go to places like that to go find people. So yeah. you have this man who was kicked out by his first his wife and then his parents because of his alcoholism, mm-hmm. who was basically on Skid Row. Um, then gets into this House of Uhuru program, and they would go to places like that mm-hmm. and do their little services. Because sometimes those ch- kind of places would have church services um, for their people who are part of their house or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they, this church was one of those churches that would go. They recruited him. He got in there. He got custody of his children. And, they, and I'm saying this because this was part of the bragging. This is what they do. The, mm-hmm. the prophet will bring you on stage. Now he has his children, and he had lost his children before. Now he's in college. Now he's this. He's that. You know. And he, my dad was doing great. He was thriving. Mm-hmm. You know. And so a lot of the people there, that's what was happening. But the second that he started thinking that you pay, now you got a little money. Then it became okay. Now it's time to give me money. So people felt loyal to this man. Mm-hmm. They, and this man didn't have no real job. That's what he did all day was that. Mm-hmm. They'd lie and say, oh, you call him at three in the morning. He'd give you prayer, all this kind of stuff. Um, sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't, maybe. But it wasn't no real job. But his daughter could go off to Japan, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But he, my, and I was, it was just later, I think, how my dad started to come out of it. He started to realize, like, the things that he wanted to do, he couldn't do because he's giving this man all his money with the promise of it being returned to him tenfold mm-hmm. by God, right? Which never happened. Um, my dad doesn't have money till this day, you know? And so a lot of times they're taking advantage of people, but they'll take, they'll, they'll use these um, tactics. So I got you, I got you help. We did that for you. We helped you. Okay, now you owe us. Mm-hmm. And then he would just get up there and command $10,000. My dad didn't have $10,000. Mm-hmm. He actually stole $10,000 from my little brother that they had gotten from a court case. Oh, wow. Um, but my dad had sued the Inglewood School District because mm-hmm. of some, something that had happened. So my dad, so my but the, the agreement was from the court. The money goes to my brother directly into an interest-bearing account. Mm-hmm. So my brother turns 18, he could have that money. Right. But that took it and gave it to this profit Oof. consistently. So my brother turned 18 looking for his money because he wanted to start his business. Mm-hmm. There was no money. That's terrible. His profit, his profit had it. But, but he had my father's mind. He had my father's loyalty. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they do. They'll say, you know, they'll get up there and they'll humiliate people who don't. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, or if you don't follow all their rules, they, I remember this one lady, she was uh, in charge of the youth program. She worked mostly with the boys and the boys really, really respected her and loved her. I mean, she was, she had a group of boys that nobody else in the church really wanted to deal with, including mm-hmm. my brother. Okay. <laughs> and so she would work with them and they loved her. I mean, she was a wonderful woman. Uh-huh. Um, well, she took a picture and posted it on Facebook of her. She's in a bathing suit. She's covered. She has like a cover on, like little, little, little things that older women wear. Oh yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, she has like a little cover on. She has a sun hat and sunglasses. Her and her mother on this boat. Aww. She takes the picture and she posts it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Well, he comes out and says she was a bad. She humiliates her in front of the entire church. Told her she was a bad example to the youth, and stripped of her duties in front of the entire church. It's a power play, right? Because there was nothing wrong with that picture, right? But he needed somebody to berate and give an example, make an example out of, mm-hmm. to show the kind of power he had, right? And then everybody else is like. You know, in fact, they got mad at me because her son messaged me. I had already left the church at this point. Mm -hmm. Her son messaged me. He was about maybe a year or two younger than me. He's like, told me what happened. Um, He's like, I don't know what to do. And so I said something on Facebook, knowing people were still following me. Mm -hmm. uh, And they got mad at me and said, whom God corrects, you don't have the right to console. God corrects? God had nothing to do with that shit. The fuck you mean? (laughs) But they believe he's a man of God. He God him. They really believe this, and so I remember and I said something. I, I made I made a whole big thing. I was like, wait a minute, no, I'm supporting her because this was wrong. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then she comes out and says and starts basically saying denouncing me, and, she, and then to, and says, I accept my punishment and all this stuff. And and I was like, don't you realize that's not okay? Like you didn't do anything wrong. That's terrible. But she can't see it that way. I had to apologize in front of the whole church after my father beat me. Mm. I was 17, 16 or 17 years old. My father beat the crap out of me about something I didn't even do. He accused me of ordering 17 magazine. 
Mm-hmm. But what happens is when you hit a certain age, Seventeen magazine just starts sending out free magazines, right? As samples, like it's like a little three pack sample they send you mm-hmm. out to all the teenage girls. Yeah, um, I don't know how many they do, but most most of my friends had all gotten the same thing, and it just come in the mail. Um, I never ordered it, I never asked for it. They got a list of teen girls somewhere and sent them out. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I signed up for something, you know, years ago, and they tracked my. Age. I have no idea. Right. Um, my dad accused me of ordering them, and he didn't really like. But it was a very strict religious household, so he didn't really like that kind of stuff. He thought uh-huh. it was, you know, too worldly. So one day he was at work. I was home. I guess I was out of school that day. And I was looking at one of the magazines and I was doing my hair, watching TV, just kicking it. Mm-hmm. But dad comes home for lunch. He catches me with the magazine. I drop it. Plate of crumbs where I was eating food flies up into the air. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was a whole big moment. He's so angry. He starts accusing me of ordering the magazines. I have this comb in my hair from doing my hair. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Dad, I swear you, I didn't. I don't think I said swear, but, you know, I promise mm-hmm. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. While mm-hmm. I'm doing that, the comb flies out of my hand somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm going like this. Comb flies out. It hits mm-hmm. me. He says I attacked him. He starts charging at me and starts punching me. Damn. I'm trying to get away from him. Like, he's punching me. I'm trying to get away from him. I'm fighting. I'm trying to get into the bathroom. I'm trying to close the door. Eventually, he gets tired. And he, is, he has to go back to work, and he goes back to work. Mm-hmm. But I'm terrified. He comes home later. He's like, we're going to church tonight because we had night services. Mm-hmm. We're going to church tonight. We get to church. I guess he had already talked to the prophet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, we're in service. Prophet's doing, he's talking about one thing. Then the rest of the, the, rest of the service is talking about how children should honor their parents. Whole mm-hmm. sermon, mm-hmm. right? Whole half of the sermon, actually. So I'm like... Oh man, so I'm starting to feel guilty because I'm thinking it's me. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't. I, I'm starting to think I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this, and I'm like, man, I'm so ashamed. And then the prophet then calls me up in front of the whole church and has me apologize to my father. Jesus Christ, he beat me. I'm a pot, and mind you, prophet never asked me what happened. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever got my side of the story. Mm-hmm. It was just that I was this wild teen who just beat who who's violent and attacked her father mm, that's terrible i'm so sorry i mean i'm, I'm good now i can talk i've talked about it enough in my yeah, <laughs> i'm no. okay but um which also by the way is helpful for some people being able to just talk about it mm-hmm. and then eventually it becomes less it stings way less the more you talk about it but um yeah so those are the kind of things that you experience in, in those kind of cult churches right you mm-hmm. experience your blame you're getting blamed for things you didn't even do or do wrong um like you want to give your church 25 dollars. There's nothing wrong with that right that's a good thing right doesn't that mean whatever it is you're trying to do should, i mean <laughs> like, it why? should be right yeah and this is not showtime at the apollo with the hook but the um the jazzy version of hit me baby one more time is the the exit stage left music <laughs> uh we have rocked for over two hours apparently oh. you really can just do this yep and Not and I, hell and i would i would keep rocking but i have to edit this down I, i'm gonna have yeah. to turn this into about six episodes <laughs> yeah i have to work today too so yeah and we've got to hit the darn well, can we hit the grocery store is it too it's late is that sunday maybe That's, in the morning tomorrow. maybe sunday morning yeah, all right we're grocery yeah, store sunday morning yes and uh oh, did Vita Star? Do we lose you? Oh no! Oh no! Oh, you're there. I was not get to talk well, about how pretty she is yet. Okay. It, oh, you were so still; it looked like the screen froze. <laughs> oh no! You guys said what time it was, and I freaked out. Like, oh, but I was like, oh, has it been two hours? I'm gonna look because I took my watch off. Oh so, yeah. So I was like trying to find like what the hell's been going on in my life for the past two hours because I didn't even know. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm here. What were you gonna but, say? I'm sorry. But, oh, I was oh, telling yeah. you, you're pretty. Uh, oh. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, that's a compliment, Cody. You are fine as hell. So absolutely, thank you. I take that. Also, can you please do like a, an eyeliner tutorial for the rest of us? Thank you. You know what's so funny? People ask me that all the time, and I have no idea how to teach people to do this. Girl, it looks amazing. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I'll, I'll tell you this. The secret. So my eyes are already kind of slightly sl- has have a certain eye shape. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of draw a straight line. <laughs> I draw like around the eye, and then I draw like a okay. straight line, and then I just. So then it just, yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know if, yeah. I, I don't know if it helps, but yeah. You're gorgeous and your eyeliner looks amazing. So I just want to put Thank that out you. there. 
But yes. I appreciate it. And again, Champagne Sharks. And I think you said you do other programming as well. Do you want to name that those radio yeah. shows? So, well, I'll name one other. Uh, Parenting for Liberation. I, I don't host it. I produce that one. It's hosted by a woman named Trina Green Brown. She wrote a book called Parenting for Liberation. And her name for organization is Parenting for Liberation. So highly recommend her uh, podcast because she has a good number of listeners. She has all types of topics, all types of parents. Um, and in fact, one of the things I did want to bring up, I didn't get a chance to, and she has a whole episode on it, is boundaries. You know, how to have hold your boundaries and how to teach children to have boundaries. And what do they look like, right? What is the difference between a, a barrier? A, 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 what is the difference between a barrier and a boundary, right? Mm. What's the and how how do we navigate that? So, I highly recommend Parenting for Liberation uh, for people who are interested in in parenting and and looking for alternative ways to um, look at raising children. We talk about raising children with autism. We talk about the rising inc- the sad and rising increase of black childhood suicide mm. we don't know that black children are committing suicide at rates never seen before in fact they think it raised like 123 percent 123 percent our wow. children are killing themselves our babies and black boys have the highest rate out of black people so definitely check out parenting for liberation and is this also available across all the podcast applications absolutely uh absolutely. youtube is it on the youtubes as well um, it's not on YouTube. I don't know. It's not on YouTube, but we are on all the streaming platforms that yeah. do podcasts. So like Spotify, iTunes, um, Stitcher, all that. If you go to Parenting for Liberation, I think it's .org. You can get more information about the organization and that podcast. It is .org. I'm on it right now. Okay. <laughs> and then um, awesome. do, does Veter Star have a Patreon, PayPal, the cash application, the Venmo, any of those deals? <laughs> I do not, but you can find me on Instagram under Vita Star. You can also, but I'm the most active on Twitter. That's my main one. So I, as you can see, I'm very verbose. Um, <laughs> highly recommend you follow me on there at Life Star Media. So at Life Star Media, L I L I F E S T A R M E D I A. Only one R. There it is. All right, gosh darn it! I think we have it. Uh. All right, live streams, let's shut them down. Facebook, get out of my face. YouTube, get out of my tube. Twitch, I don't know, word for that one. All right. (laughs) And and stop the internal recording at two hours and 14 minutes. And...